on this episode of AV Week, the future of interactive education, future-proofing hybrid work, and the pros and cons of working with subs. All that and more, next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 512, recorded Friday, June 11th, 2021. AV is IT. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by... Sure. Sound extraordinary. And by... Middle Atlantic. What great systems are built on. And by... Just Add Power. The global leader in video over IP solutions with systems that give you easy installation, unmatched scalability, and outstanding performance. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week. She's still in an RV. Uh, Her name is Corey Schaefer, and she is with QSC. How are you, ma'am? I am well. I'm happy to be in an RV, seeing a little bit uh, outside my home office. The last time we talked with Corey about six weeks ago, she was up in Montana. Now she is in the lower part of the lower 48s. Uh, So uh, seeing all sorts of, you should do all 50 states. I'm not sure you could do that, though, in an RV. So that's a whole other thing. Uh, With us also is Mr. Brock McGinnis from Nationwide. Welcome, sir. Afternoon, Tim. Uh, Always a pleasure, honor to be here. Absolutely. Thank you, sir, so much. Uh, First time on this program, um, but uh, James is no stranger to podcast. James King from Stockton. Welcome, sir. Thank you for having me and feel honored to be with this uh, panel here, these great uh, heavy hitters. They 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 do hold their own, and and you you will have to work to get a word in edgewise uh, because they are both uh, incredibly smart, but also incredibly uh, verbose. So uh, we'll start with that. All right, and that's your word for the week, kids. Verbose. Go look it up. Uh, first first um, story actually comes to us from our website. Lewis and Alberto Schilling launch weinstall.it. It's an, a new uh, AV and IT subcontracting firm uh, from the uh, the press release, quote unquote, because of our AV and IT background, working for the largest tech firms in the world, we know how important and difficult it is to find quality boots on the ground for scale product projects. Uh, Corey, we'll start with you on this. When it comes to working with subcontractors and, and whether that is as manufacturers and you're helping your clients, which is the dealers and the installers, um, getting their their uh, projects rolling up, what what do you guys, what is your experience and how do you help your, your clients be successful when they do have to scale up using, you know, subcontractor labor or using a company like we install or, or the, the numerous other ones that, that are out in the in the marketplace? Well, our goal is to, you know, kind of pair company, pair individuals with companies and make sure the individual that is the sub is knows that they where where to go for help and assistance and just make sure that um, all goes well there. So, you know, we try to have dialogue up front. We try to give them access to resources so that they're knowledgeable and trained and then access to, you know, who would be the right contact so that they're not, you know, just calling some random 800 number. And, you know, I loved that story. I felt like it was pretty, um, 
I love their logo and I love the concept of it. And I was reminded by, of AV Hero as well, which was mm -hmm. another one that started, you know, during the pandemic, you know, and, um, you know, when you're, when companies can do this, it get, you know, the, um, the pros are lots of flexibility. They're not full-time employees. You know, um, if, you know, you tend to get some, some expertise as well, um, you know, and they're, you know, just not on your payroll. So I felt it was brilliant if it's, um, you know, if it's handled well, you know, I mean, at QSC, you know, we're pretty particular about who installs quote QSIS and we want to make sure that they're really knowledgeable, you know, and that it's not such a heavy, uh, resource lift on QSC, you know, um, so, um, but uh, I mean, there are definitely, you know, pros and cons. And m my thing would be just to make sure that there's a, a connection. They, they know where to access resources to become knowledgeable and that they feel that they have someone to reach out to for a lifeline if they need it. Brock, Corey mentioned the fact that some of the pros and cons, what are you, you've done your fair share of, of larger projects that you guys have had to scale, uh, you know, both, ex, you know, expanding and contracting, what are some of the pros and cons of working with subs? Um, well, the, the con is you don't make enough money. Uh, so you're, you're giving half your profit uh, on your labor or more um, away to somebody else. The pro is you can do 10 times as many projects at the same time. So half a 10 times, oh, that's a plus five. That's still, that's really good. Um, and, uh, and the key, uh, the two keys are, um, finding the right subs that will do things as well and represent you in front of your customers as well as your own staff and learning how to manage them properly. Um, the, uh, the communication handoff, um, you know, from engineering to project management to the people in the field is key in any, uh, AV installation process and it is hypercritical with a subcontractor because they don't have your storehouse of kind of in-house knowledge we always do it this way or always make those kind of decisions or we communicate uh, in this manner and so uh, i know that uh, in the past when when we started subcontracting it was a learning curve for us to be able to manage those resources as well as we managed our in-house field teams. I think a really good point, Brock, is about management. And then it's also because they represent your company and your brand, was subbed or not, they represent sure. you. And, you know, um, it's it's just really important that expectations get laid out ahead of time and, and that things are managed well. Corey, you, you mentioned the fact that they represent you. I, I have a dear friend who is working as a sub for another company that I know uh, this week. And part of the things that he wanted to do is he asked for, you know, the proper polo, right? He asked for, for you know, um, it's not swag at this point, but, you know, the, the, the shirt, you know, that, that matches yep. everyone else to make sure that you do have kind of that, that same, you know, that, that same face going forward. Um, James, at this point, you, you're, you are the tech manager. You're the guy that, that, you know, Brock is doing the work for, not specifically, but you know, in this case, what is it, what, what are some of the pros and cons from your perspective of, you know, an integrator, a dealer bringing in subs to, to get jobs done and make sure that they're on time, um, before you hit, uh, the fall, you know, in this case for, for college. Um, so the first thing I would like to note is if you notice the logo and the name, AV is not mentioned at all. And that goes back to the whole AV is IT argument there. Uh, but really to go what you, the, to your question is 
as a tech manager, especially in higher education, I understand the process with subs and the beneficial to them, but now they're twice to third remove from our true end users. And a lot of that, um, the needs of the end users would get um, missed. Um, I mean, even as a tech manager now, when I'm dealing directly with a contractor, they don't always understand the needs of our end users. And oh. like there was a project where I sent them my code and they came back and go, well, why are you doing this? This doesn't make sense. I had to explain to them, this is what our users want. Not that it makes sense in the corporate world, it makes sense in our environment. This is what they look for, this is what they want. If I have to go through multiple layers to get that across, it's almost like playing the game of phone call and you know, it's gonna get lost. So maybe it's like, how do you deploy uh, a sub, right? Because there's lots of work they could do that's not code and kind of the final thing. And is I would assume in the university side, you also have this time frame of how jobs have to get done. And the advantage that a sub can give um, anyone on a project is scalability, you know, in a short time frame and then not needing to keep them on staff. Uh, yeah, that's definitely the benefit uh, I was talking about with having sub. It's extra hands, extra bodies to make sure the projects get done. Um, but then it also goes to, especially in higher ed, is uh, consistency, not just with the code, but consistency in the rooms. All our rooms have the exact same interface. The buttons are in the exact same location. So if a faculty member walks into classroom B or classroom Z, they're identical. They don't have to relearn the system. Um, like I said, I, I think subs can be beneficial. It's just like Barack was getting to that whole management side of it. And then as a tech manager, it's additional layers we have to go to in making sure our end users are getting the product they need. There's such a risk. And I, I think there are a number of pretty good companies in our industry who for a time um, had really bad reputations in the field because they were mostly reliant on subcontractors. And those subcontractors were in turn, because they were busy, subcontracting to others. And so somebody shows up at Stockton University and they are uh, two or three times removed from, um, you know, from someone who gives a damn. Uh, and that is, that is so critical. And everybody's trying to make money along the way. And if a subcontractor gives you a fixed price for a project, it is in their best interest to get in and out of that job as quickly as possible because that's how they make more money. And I think that's where the negative around uh, subcontractors, uh, that, that, that whole stigma first evolved. And, and Corey, you know, you're, you're certainly uh, aware of, that, of, of what that happened. And maybe it was, maybe it was more five or 10 years ago, uh, but if you were relying on subs, you were looked at almost as a second class integrator. Um, now, I think that there are so many really, really good uh, subcontract labor organizations that have the certifications and have the insurance and have the training and have taught their customers like us how to, um, you know, how to, to get the most out of them. And they become like good employees in the field, just really expensive employees. All right.
um, on that note. <laughs> well, commercial integrators are our next story, uh, taking a look at how to future-proof, quote-unquote, the hybrid work model. Uh, Zach uh, Como from, from Commercial Integrator uh, interviewed uh, David Danto uh, and talks about, you know, the, the, the move to the hybrid work uh, and the move to, to remote work, not to, nothing, but but Mr. Danto has been uh, has been well known about his opinion on when it comes to remote work. Uh, he's been doing so for 20 years. He's been saying it's the future for 20 years. Not saying that eventually he was right, but eventually he was indeed right uh, to some extent for some folks. Uh, but one of the things that that, that Zach um, gets out of out of David is is the fact that that future proofing both the work from home as well as the office space. Um, Brock, we'll start with you on this. Is, does this make sense? We're, we're talking about, you know, quote unquote, future proofing, which I've gotten to the point where I really dislike that word in general. Um, if, if one thing that 2020 taught us is the fact that we don't know anything coming down the pipeline, we know nothing of the future. Is it possible then to, to put infrastructure in place? Is it possible to put technology in place that would safeguard against XYZ, right? Against what's coming down in the future? Are we just kind of, you know, shooting in the dark here? Uh, I, I don't think the article was about future proofing at all. And uh, I have enough respect for David Danto to know that he would never say um, that any particular piece of hardware is going to future proof you. Um, what he was advocating reading that article was the ability to take uh, the uh, video conferencing uh, capabilities that one has at home and put them on the network so that they can be monitored um, and updated by IT the same way those same assets would in a meeting room. Um, and, uh, and, and he's absolutely right um, that, that it's, not a home, it's not a home rig anymore. If people are permanently going to be deployed remotely, um, uh, IT should be able to look uh, look at their devices, make sure they all, always have the current uh, edition of, of Zoom or, or uh, Teams or whatever it is that they're using. Um, but where I diverge from Mr. Danto is that he's in the business of selling peripherals um, and uh, he wants the camera and the mouse and the speaker um, all also to be monitored by uh, IT, which would imply an all-in-one device, um, of which uh, you know, which is how he makes his living, uh, selling those. And I disagree. I, I don't think IT needs to look at my camera or my microphone, um, but it would be awesome if uh, uh, if IT could check my bandwidth um, and ensure that I had enough bandwidth, uh, uh, you know, to be taking part in conferencing uh, conferences, particularly if I'm presenting and uh, that somebody else would be in charge of software updates so they don't pop up in the middle of an event like this. I'm just gonna chime in. I took it as um, looking at devices that can be hmm. software upgradable, right? So just kind of educating people because, you know, it is difficult to quote future-proof to your point, Tim, you know, that's one thing COVID, you know, has really taught us. But when we are looking at a device and we're looking to purchase something, something that can be upgraded via software definitely should, you know, likely will last longer, you know, over time, over the over the use. And then the other thing is, you know, I, I think, um, I mean, 
I'm the poster child of uh, working remotely right now. I'm sitting in an RV, right? And um, we're, you know, it is here to stay. We are going to see an increase of it. And companies beyond IT are, you know, my company's looking at things like, what can we do to make it a better experience for the employee as they are remote? So stand-up desk, monitor, chairs, you know, and really investing in that because you would typically do it at the office. Why would you not offer that to your employees? And maybe, you know, offering them a, um, a stipend, you know, to go ahead and purchase things that um, would help them have a great experience while they're work while they are in a hybrid environment, but also guiding them to devices that are upgradable um, as new features and functionality come out. I'm going to jump in here as well. I, I think Brock and Corey both have great points, and uh, on the article there, I also took as the article was talking about um, a lot of the work from home this during the pandemic was we got what we could get and we made it work. Um, for example, right now I'm off today, so I am using my personal MacBook with the built-in webcam. Um, now I am using a podcast production style microphone, which I purchased at my own money because as Tim mentioned earlier, I am no strangers to podcasts. Um, so I, personally went out and up my audio game, but I'm keeping my video the same. And that's kind of what Dave was talking about. Um, whereas we should get our users these, almost what we're putting in corporate rooms, classrooms, conference rooms. My take there is the security. Um, like Brock was mentioned, IT should see your computer. Well, there's layers of firewalls and routers and all that stuff they have to go through. Like Corey mentioned, this is a work from home road warrior. Well, what if her laptop is stolen and someone's now accessing corporate stuff from her device? These are all huge security uh, concerns. Um, let's just take a look at the gas crisis that just happened on the East Coast when the plant got ransomware. Now you put these people in their homes where they're, they're a little less protected. You don't have IT locking it down like Fort Knox. And an email might come through. It might be on a personal email, but they're now connected to the VPN. They encrypt their computer, which then goes across the tunnel. Now you're encrypting the corporate stuff. Or even the pipeline, or not the pipeline, the water plant I think was in Florida where Someone got in through remote desktop, or actually it was TeamViewer, but a remote software. So this whole work from home has really put a spotlight, not just on AV, but security. And security really needs to up their game and allow users to do what they need to do, but not make it easy for malicious attacks, which is hard to do. Well, and the one thing about that, James, real quickly is, is for the first time, I want to say this, I want to say this correctly. I want to say that President Biden was one of the first um, presidents to mention ransomware and to start talking about ransomware. This isn't a political one, more than the other, couldn't care less who you voted for. But for the first time, a, a sitting U.S. president has mentioned this and has looked at it. Um, the, the head, the CEO of uh, Colonial Pipeline apparently has getting some, some heat for paying the ransom, um, and the U.S. Congress is looking at, at, at passing laws to make it illegal or, or to um, curb paying those ransoms. 
you can think what you want, but, but there are several ways to get that information back. Paying the ransom is one of them, right? There, there's a story out of Maryland, and I, 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 I want to say it was Baltimore, but I could have the city wrong, that the, um, the ransom where uh, folks, the people that stole the data, were asking for something like $75,000 or $100,000 at the time, and it cost them in upwards of millions of dollars uh, to get it back uh, using data uh, scientists and data uh, analytics or uh, data uh, researchers. Um, so, yeah, sometimes it is easier to pay the ransom. But what's even easier is keeping your systems up to date and, and secure, right? Yeah. Um, I've said this a thousand times. I'll say it a thousand times more. Teresa Payton is one of my favorite uh, security people in the world, and she has said it's not a question of if, it's when the attacks will happen on you and your network. I don't care who you are, right? It, it will happen at some point in time. You just got to make sure that you're staying diligent. So, uh, Just real quick, it's funny. Yes, they paid them ransom, but they actually recover quicker from their backup than they did to decrypt the encryption. So even though they paid the ransom, it was useless to them, really. Um, yeah. And I think they did actually recover some of that money. Yes, the, I want to say it was the FBI um, got some because it was in, it was in Bitcoin and they yeah. were able to, to re, uh, pull back some of it. Uh, but that's actually another another good point. Uh, a buddy of mine, Michael Drainer, who's in the IT sector now, um, swears by offsite backups. Right, that if you back up several times a day and you back up offsite and you've got three or four different versions of it, that's one also one, another good safeguard against uh, ransomware. Um, all right, last story comes with from our friends over at AV Network uh, and SCN. Uh, Keene University has launched a data visualization studio. Uh, Keene University there in, in uh, James's uh, neck of the woods over in New Jersey uh, has released this uh, incredible, incredible immersive uh, system. Uh, according to the folks um, that are uh, that, that at, at Keene University, uh, quote unquote, they designed the Keene studio to be a blank canvas, a very versatile space capable of displaying presentations being immersive and acting as an event space and event center. And then just recently here in April, they had a, uh, an online streaming event where they were able to layer eight layers of, of visualizations from several different um, multiple um, sources. Uh, James, we're going to start with you, not for nothing, but you are uh, the, the higher ed person here. What, what is the, the future of immersive or collaborative spaces like this or, or like some of these, um, you know, uh, multiple um, location where it's it's all kind of both online and and in person. Um, so a room like this, I would say, is it definitely gives the wow factor a factor and bring people in. I I'm I look at it more of five to ten years down the road of content development. Mm. If the content is not complete, um, being refreshed and being worked on. Now you have a glorified display. Um, I definitely think these environments are great. Um, now in uh, Keene University, I don't know much about them, um, but I think they might have more of that uh, rotating door where they have events and uh, the people who can do the content for it unlike some of these smaller schools that more are focused on the education to the students and that's their bread and butter. Um, like Penn State, I know they have the VR, but they also have a lot of sports and stuff. So they have the, these funds to, you know, play with these kind of things. 
Um, but my thing is the content, if it's not being developed and if it's not easy for the faculty members, then all they're really doing is throwing PowerPoint up there. I mean, they said this is 22,262 by 1600. What faculty member is actually developing their content in that resolution or that format? Uh, so you, you're you now requiring the faculty member to find someone who can make their content into that format. Um, so that's me, way I look at it, because I'm a big component focused on the students, students first. Um, that's one of the things that Stockton we always say is student first. Um, so I like to focus on the education side. I definitely think these have beneficial if you have the resources to develop, uh, devote to content. I looked at it kind of as more on the educational side. I didn't really think about it just from the tech side because it was, you know, really presented as collaboration and interactive. And just for fun, I decided to kind of look at, okay, what studies are out there that kind of uh, show metrics and data based on teaching with being immersed and interactive and with true collaboration. And I pulled up a study by Carnegie Mellon that's in 2015 that says that um, it's documented six uh, students actually um, learn six times more when it's interactive and collaborative. You know, so their test scores go up, you know, et cetera. And I mean, that was from 2015. And boy, you know, what COVID's taught us also is it's hard to know when we're hybrid, what is on the other end and how engaged they are, you know, et cetera. I noticed it just in my regular work meetings. You know, I have some of my associates or just that little circle. They don't come on video. And uh, the other day I did a presentation and, you know, spent a lot of time on it and uh, completely, you know, they missed the whole message of what I was presenting because you can't tell when it's a little circle if they're even engaged, right? So anything we could do to get more collaboration and interaction is really going to help, uh, you know, them absorb, I think, more. So I looked at it, you know, from the educational side. Uh, yes, yeah, so definitely the collaboration is a key in education. Um, it's a real being pushed in even K for 12. You see collaboration being pushed there. Um, it's definitely beneficial. I, I mean, personally, I didn't get that from the article, but I looked at it more on the tech side of it then, I guess. Um, and like I said, it's, I, I can see the benefit of it as long as the content is being refreshed. And just like VR, if a VR comes out, it's great with that content, but unless you put new content in it, even for collaboration, <laughs> it's almost like you saw the same movie. You know, like you're, how much can you learn from the same movie? I'm shocked uh, to hear what James said, actually, um, because uh, it's what I was planning to say, uh, which is this is a very little educational use at all. So this is a uh, my I, I got a bigger boat in the driveway now. This is a this is a piece to show off to donors. Um, this is a piece to you know show your alumni that that you're a cool and relevant place. And it's very keen, and I thought the best part of the design uh, from AVISPL is that there are 10 laser projectors up there that when this thing fizzles in two years, they can put them in classrooms and, uh, and not, not waste the money. Um, these, these rooms are incredibly challenging to program. Uh, all, all interactive uh, or all 
you know, multi-input, in, multi-source spaces. I love them. I love doing them. I love selling them. Um, they're, uh, you know, because they're they're just big ego pieces. And and when you open, I don't know if you noticed the the photo in the in the article that we were provided. They're putting video games up there. Um, and, uh, and, and that's part of it is because this is the biggest call of duty landscape, uh, you can have, and you can stand there and maybe you're putting your VR glasses on and, and you're playing GI Joe. Great. Um, this isn't the future of education. Uh, it, it's, it's part of what an institution has to do, uh, in, you know, in order to be seen by the broader community. Uh, and their alumni and, and their funders as being cool and on the cutting edge of technology, but it's just, it's a marketing piece. Um, it's not an educational piece. And I'm, I was actually quite gratified uh, that it wasn't just cynical old me, James, uh, that, that had that particular perspective. Um, but they're a lot of fun to work on. Yeah, they look fun and I, one thing I buy, I always do, I look at making whatever we do at Stockton the benefit the students and the faculty, but without, you know, spending a lot of money, um, trying to keep the costs down, but also being that beneficial factor. And Brock, you bring up a good point. Um, the laser projectors that can be used for other things, if this does fizzle out, I mean, Keene University might have the resource to make this last five, 10 years. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know. I don't know much about Keene University, but having that tech that they can put elsewhere yeah. is very key. All right, very good. That'll be a good, good, good place to stop. Thank you all so much. Corey Schaefer from QSC. Thank you, ma'am. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to hang out with these guys, all of you guys. Um, and uh, you can find me at qsc.com uh, or on the Twitters. Uh, so Corey.Schaefer at QSD.com. All right. Very good. Mr. McGinnis, thank you, sir, as always. Uh, pleasure. It, uh, this was my first time having uh, to have a face-to-face -face conversation with James, who I've seen a lot on Twitter and have a lot of respect for. Um, hanging out with Corey has been one of my favorite things to do for 12 or 15 years. I don't know. It's been, uh, it's been a while. Um, uh, one of the people in the industry that... Uh, that I respect the most. Uh, and uh, I'm Brock McGinnis on Twitter. Um, and uh, that's probably the easiest way to find me. All right, very good. Mr. King, thank you, sir. Appreciate you you coming by and, and joining us uh, for a few minutes. How do people connect with you? Uh, first, thank you, Tim. And thanks, Brock and Corey. I mean, when I saw those two listed on the email, I'm like, man, I'm a kid in a candy shop. <laughs> but these are powerhouse people here. Um, it's great to drinking their knowledge um, here. But as I uh, mentioned, I'm on a lot of podcasts, so you can find me over on AV Life as a weekly crew member there. Um, also, Steve Greenblatt and I are running with a new podcast uh, called Ask the Programmer, and we're looking for feedback from our listeners. Uh, reach out to us, and hopefully we can build a community there for programmers. I'm, as Brock and Tim and Corey mentioned, I'm on Twitter. My handle is uh, at AV underscore James King. I'm also a writer for the Higher Ed Digital Magazine. I write the IT and AV column that comes out monthly. And add to it, I'm also uh, on the HEPMA board. 
Uh, and really quickly, for those of you that are tech managers and in education, I, I'm asking James without asking him this first. Are you still taking applications or adding to your Slack channel? Oh, yeah, that is one element I forgot. I'm always accepting anyone in higher education that works in AV or IT. Um, we have a Slack group of just us tech managers uh, from people who are doing installs all up to directors. We have about 150 some members global in this, and we all are there helping each other and being resources for each other. Yeah, hit James up on 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 Twitter's and he'll get you um, he'll get you plugged in there if if you're interested. Again, that's just for tech managers, IT managers. Um, actually, Brock and Corey and I can't apply to it, so um, you know that that that's how that. Um, thank you all so much uh, for us. Uh, for me, don't don't follow me on the Twitters, uh, but go by the website avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others, uh, including our uh, residential show that's gearing up for Cedia. Um, and we mentioned Mr. Danto earlier. Mr. Danto is going to Cedia uh, through IMCCA and Polly uh, as part of the work from home uh, section. And uh, rumor has it that Mr. Chris Netto will also be joining us. Uh, and I say joining us because I'm also heading over to Indianapolis. Uh, so we are gearing up our Cedia coverage uh, quickly uh, and rapidly. Uh, but there will be doing a party there the first night of Cedia. So you can register for that. Um, and join us for some, you know, free beer and, and, you know, food and get to see Danto and get to see Neto and have to hang out with me. Um, so you can check all that out and more at the website. Also, check out our sponsors. Uh, these are the folks who help us bring you AV Week and Resi Week and our coverage of Cedia and all the others. Uh, one last thing before we, I let you get out of here. Uh, our bu buddy of ours is, is leaving the industry. Um, Mr. Craig McCormick. Uh, announced today on Twitter that he is leaving Commercial Integrator. Craig was one of the first um, um, writers for Commercial Integrator magazine. Uh, Commercial Integrator started about 11, about 10 years ago, 10 or 11 years ago. Um, and he and Tom LeBlanc uh, helped launch that publication. Uh, Tom has since left, and now he's with NSCA. And today, Craig announced that he is uh, leaving Commercial Integrator. Uh, he's going to write for another um, industry altogether. Um, but he has been a very good friend the last 10 years, and he's not going to stop that. He's just not going to be hanging out with us at Infocom anymore. So we want to wish Mr. McCormick a very, very uh, successful uh, career wherever it is he lands. Personally, I hope that the Boston Red Sox never beat the Cardinals again in the World Series. But other than that, I wish Craig all the luck in the entire world or the Bruins beat the Blues, which didn't happen two years ago. The Blues beat the Bruins. I just want to point that out, too. So, all right, that's all we got. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you all so much for watching. We appreciate it. That's all the time we have for AV Week.